And because I could not talk to anybody, I was in Sweden because I didn't know anybody else enough to have those kind of conversations outside of my country. I thought, okay, books, that's where I would go. Hi, I'm Anna Olson, and you're listening to We're Not Kidding, a podcast devoted to sharing stories surrounding the child-free life. As a life coach, I'm passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered in their choice not to have children. And I believe that by sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. All right. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. I am so excited for today's guest. Today, we are speaking with the amazing Nicole Louie, who, if you don't know, she is a writer, a translator, and content curator based in Ireland. She is the creator of the fantastic blog, Empty Uterus, which is dedicated to finding and sharing the stories of amazing women without children. So thank you for the work that you do, and thank you for taking the time to be on the podcast today. I'm really grateful to have you here, Nicole. Oh, that's so, so lovely. Thank you. I'll start by saying I'm a big fan. <laughs> I've been listening to all the episodes and I love each and every one of them. And I'm very, very happy to be here. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, that means a lot. I really appreciate it. And I'm so honored to have you here and to get to have this conversation. So can you start by telling us all a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Although you did a pretty good job there already. So I'm Nicole Louie. I'm based in Ireland, but I'm originally from Brazil. I've been living abroad for, gosh, 15 years now, several countries, but Ireland was the country that took my heart and I, I decided to call it home. So I've been living here on and off for seven years now. Yeah, it's it's lovely, lovely, lovely here, although it rains a bit more than I would like, but <laughs> it's, it's good enough. Um, I'm a copywriter and a translator, like you said, I focus a lot on marketing material and software. So worked a lot in tech translating most of the products that you use today. <laughs> like, if you use them in Portuguese, that, that that's it. That's my job. <laughs> I... What else do I do? I curate a lot of content, not just the content that you see there, which I don't get paid for, but professionally for companies. And I spent the past 10 years researching the lives of women who don't have children. And then I wrote a book about that experience. And that book is currently on submission to publishers. And I have all my fingers crossed that somebody's going to pick us up and publish that book <laughs> soon enough before I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I hope so too, because I want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep your fingers crossed too. That, that's I awesome. will, yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. So having spent 10 years doing this research on women who don't have kids, is that something you identify with as well? Are you someone who doesn't have or doesn't want kids? Yes, I am one of, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that's how it all started, really, for me. I think instinctively, I always knew I didn't want to have a child. But that gut feeling, if we want to call it there, was something that I noticed very early on in my life, as early as, as I was about maybe eight or nine. And it's a very strong thing to feel when you're so young. I don't. That's why I say instinctively, because it, it was obviously not a, a big or deep thought. And a lot of it had to do, I think, with being the daughter of somebody who was just 18 years old. 
and who then had another child by the time she was 25. And seeing that mother struggle, trying to make sure I was okay, my brother was okay, when she was only in her mid-20s. And I think I felt like very early on that I was my brother's mother, mm-hmm. and that made me feel incredibly overwhelmed. And obviously, that is not a reason to then not become a mother later on. There are many ways to deal with those feelings. But I carried that feeling into my adulthood, and then it expanded into other feelings of, I, I just don't think that's for me. I, I think I want to explore a different way of living. So yeah, my, that's how it started, trying to understand that feeling. Uh, was how I got into this 10-year journey. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So that kind of <laughs> explains like how you got interested. That was my next question. Like, how'd you get interested in researching child-free women? But it sounds like it was just an expansion of this like feeling within you. And then that led you to maybe being curious about the lives of other child-free women or how did that all evolve? Yeah, I think from the instinct feeling of, oh, okay, I I feel this, but I don't understand what I'm feeling. Obviously, I can just go to therapy and figure the bits about my childhood out. But then what else is this going to then define who I will be for the next 60 years of my life? Okay, maybe that's not the best plan. And then whenever I wanted to figure that out, there was a huge feeling of isolation. At the time when that moment of maybe I should start really figuring this out because I'm in my mid-20s and at some point, you know, I I just want to know. So I can live that life without just wondering about it all the time, which was kind of what happened to me in my mid-20s. So it happened that I was living in Sweden at the time. And that's literally the other side of the world from where I was born, where everything was completely different. Everything was a barrier. The language was a barrier. The culture was a barrier. And the weather was a barrier. And having to go through those feelings in a time where I felt so misplaced then made the whole experience feel very intense because there was nothing to hold on to, nobody to talk to. So there was nobody in my life I could talk to at the time. I mean, there was my partner and he he was a wonderful, supportive human human being. And we did speak a lot about that. But there is something very difficult about having those conversations or only having those conversations with somebody who will be directly impacted by your decision. And I, I then felt, okay, that that might be the moment where I need to hear all the voices in my head. And because I didn't know anybody, my research, which it's kind of presumptuous to call research and I didn't from day one think this is going to be a book and I'm going to go about researching like that's not how it happened at all it was more like there must be somebody else who (laughs) has gone through this and where are they and why I cannot see them and because I could not talk to anybody I was in Sweden because I didn't know anybody else enough to have those kind of conversations outside of my country I thought okay books that's where I would go I, I had a master's in literature I was already a translator by then and was it was my escape. It has always been. Whenever I didn't know what to do with my life, I was like, there must be a book about this. And then right. Kind of <laughs> right. So I started with literary research, if you want to call it that. Just going to the library once a week and asking questions to the librarian and coming up, coming back home with books and reading them and, and highlighting the pages where I found anything similar to what I was feeling. And then bit by bit, that no longer was enough because I found myself thinking, okay, great, but I wanted to ask this question and this question and this question and, and this alter is dead or <laughs> or I don't have your contact and I cannot ask you know Jane Austen what she meant when she wrote there or Virginia Woolf or and I thought okay th- there must be other ways and then I started doing the interviews. Mm, yeah. 
Okay, before we go into what those interviews, what that has looked like, I'm really curious about, so it sounds like you had this early realized, maybe early feeling at the age of like eight or nine of not wanting that responsibility that you saw, or I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but you didn't want to go down the the motherhood route. And you had some feeling, even if you didn't have the articulation at that time. And then fast forward and you're in Sweden and you're in your early 20s and you're at a time where you're wrestling more with that question of kids or no kids. And I'm just like struck by how like that wrestling with that question is isolating on its own, but then being, like you said, halfway around the world, like (laughs) completely different place, different like language and how much more isolating that was must have felt because of that. And then, but um, turning to to books for answers and, and asking those questions. I don't know, that just really stood out to me about your story. Thank you. Yeah, I guess it's just, it was what was most accessible to me yeah. in terms of knowledge and conversations as well. I mean, don't get me wrong, Swedish people are lovely. They speak English fluently mostly, but it's just, I worked from home as a translator, so it was hard to have a sense of community because normally, where do you get your sense of community from family? And my family wasn't there I mean I had my partner but you know he was also an expat so it wasn't like we also had his family for me to go to we were very isolated we were our little bubble in Sweden so his family wasn't there my family was not there my friends all the way up to when I was 25 were not living in Sweden and I was working from home Mm. so when you put all of those things together even if you want to make friends it's hard and then you go into a culture that is generally more private it would take a lot of chipping away meeting many times to get to the point where you would have a conversation about not having children that goes beyond the do you have children do you not and obviously i knew that i didn't the conversation that i wanted to have was why don't you have children why do you think and how does it feel like those were the things that i wanted to talk about and um, sweden is a very children oriented nation Mm -hmm. you know the entire country is made for children like everywhere you go you see people in bikes with the little trolleys at the back and people with two three friends and the trends are perfect you know everything you know the ramps it's very integrated and the libraries have space for children and restaurants and so it's very if anything it's overwhelming to also be there because everybody it's a society that is mostly free from the basic problems that you would have in brazil that you know the, the base level economically in sweden is is much higher So when you don't have children there, you don't have children because you cannot afford not having children. It will be for other reasons. So by default, you do see more people my age at the time and now who then decide to have children. Whereas in my country, it's much harder to to make that decision. You either do it without thinking for religious reasons, for cultural, because it's it's what everybody's doing, or you don't do it because you can't afford it. So there was the social aspect as well, economical and social aspect that was very different. So books is kind of what, it felt like the first door to go. And I I, I got very lucky. I mean, people who are listening to this cannot see, but behind me, there is a wall with about 30 frames of my favorite writers and 22 of them are childless or child-free. So wow. I was so yeah. lucky to find all of these women who at some point, either in their fiction journey or in their memoirs or letters or diaries, decided to share a little bit about that experience. So that was a good place to start. Yeah. 
And something else that you had mentioned, too, that I think is so relatable and important is that this isn't always something that we can really talk through with the person, like a partner who is also impacted by what our personal choice is or we're impacted by what their choice and thoughts are. So I thought that was a really important thing that you pointed out that we need other spaces like your blog, what you provide in your content, you know, those other places to go and find people or words that resonate and that like express what we're feeling too. Yeah, those were important too. I think for me was, again, it's very important to have a partner with whom you can, if you have a partner, you can talk to them. But it was the addition of that space yeah. where, I be, where I could think of myself as an individual and not somebody who was married at the time and who also had to think about his feelings. Of course, I did that day and night, but I didn't want to do only that. And then I think my next step from there was I, I already had blogs. I, I write a lot and I always I have always written poetry. So I had one blog that was maybe three years old um, back then. Uh, based on just like filled with poetry and I thought that I don't think that's the place to be talking about this or the thing maybe I'll create this other blog the blog I created a blog in 2009 so a really long time ago and I at first its first live was in Portuguese because I I had just left Brazil it's been maybe a year year and a half and I didn't feel comfortable yet to explore such a complicated topic in my second language I felt like Mm -hmm. I didn't need one more barrier (laughs) I just want to be able to write freely so at first it was just more like loose notes really and not really I called the, the blog empty uterus or the equivalent of empty uterus in Portuguese. But then over time, as I started finding out these books, I just, I guess I couldn't help but wonder what it would be like to have found that blog before. If I could have found it, it would have saved me so much time and so much energy. And also not everybody has the life I have, which is already very book and research oriented because I have a degree in literature and because I'm a translator, I've very naturally gravitate towards that material. And then I felt like, well, I'm finding those books, I'm finding those pages, I'm finding those quotes, why don't I just put them somewhere so others can find it? And that over the years evolved into, oh, there's also this movie and there's also this play. There's also this podcast. And suddenly I had all these tabs and felt like I was creating this encyclopedia. But it was in Portuguese from 2009 to 2017. And then over time, I started getting a lot of comments from people who were not speaking Portuguese, which to me was very surprising. And they they would say, you know, I'm using Google Translate to send you this, or I hope you can read it in English. Oh, wow. <laughs> I realized there was an audience that went before, because obviously I'm not, I'm not even close. I wasn't the first blog at all to talk about this. But I think it was the sheer amount of content beyond my text that got people's attention because everybody can write a diary online but when you have a list of 300 books that you can read you know 100 movies that you can watch i think that's when it becomes really a collective effort and then in 2017 i thought you know what i'm just going to have this blog in english because by then obviously i was more comfortable communicating in english but i also felt like the scale was important let's share this with the world and then i created the MTU Trans blog, which is in English, and then it just transferred all the content to them. Yeah. And I so appreciate the work that you've done and the resource that you've created. In fact, I shared it with someone else who was looking for child-free books. And I was just like, here is the perfect place to go for an incredible (laughs) list of like, not just books, but like you said, podcasts, and then your own writing. And so anyways, 
thank you for the resource that you created. It's so lovely to hear. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely haven't seen such a comprehensive list as as yours before. So it's 14 years. So I'm I'm glad to hear that, not from a from a competition perspective, but from a sense of achievement. If you put 40 years into something, then it's nice to see the result. <laughs> For, sometimes I forget the other day I was reviewing a book and I thought, wait a minute, I feel like I have reviewed this before. And then I checked because I still have the Portuguese blog on, you know, live. So I checked and it's like, oh yeah, that's what there was 2012. Seven <laughs> years since I reviewed that book. So obviously I don't remember everything anymore. <laughs> Even for myself, sometimes it gets a bit too meta, you know, it's just like, <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So when did you first conceptualize? So you've had this, you created this blog. Well, you created first in Portuguese and then created the, the English version as well to make it even have a broader impact, you know, to be a resource to even more people. So when did you first conceptualize writing a book on child-free women? Right. Yeah, great question. So sometime between 2011 and 2012, maybe a year or two into having the blog online, somehow, somewhere started getting traction. I think it was a mixture of SEO and I was linking to all the other blogs that I had found and they were mostly in English. I I, I was the only person who had a blog in Portuguese about the topic. Now it's not the case and I'm so very happy it's not the case. But back then it was and, and it was just not a conversation that was happening in Portuguese speaking countries, which are well beyond Brazil. So people from Portugal, people from Angola could also read it or people who just speak Portuguese as a second or third language. So when I started linking to blogs, blogs started linking back to me as well. And the thing about having movies and plays and books is that it's a visual content. You don't necessarily need to speak the language. You just go like, oh, it's a a movie about Coco Chanel. I can watch that. It's a movie about Camille Caudel. Okay, I can can find that in my local library. So I think there was a sense for the language agnostic content that could be consumed easily. And you could also, there is, you can just use Google Translate. It was embedded in my blog to read my post if you cared about it. But like I said, it wasn't, my writing wasn't the star of the show. That was not the point. It was really content creation. At some point, started getting a lot of comments and those comments migrated into my mailbox and it was very overwhelming around 2012 a good overwhelming this time and to just wake up probably at least once a month to a really long email from somebody I had no clue they existed even the day before and suddenly find half of their lives written down because I found your blog last night and I read the post and this and that and I feel like oh my god I want to talk to somebody about it and it started happening again and again and with many of these women I corresponded for months back and forth and was like Wow, it's finally happening. I'm able to have those conversations, which is why I did all of this. Because to be honest, between sometime between 2009 and 2012, I even forgot that I wanted to have those conversations because the research was keeping me going. Oh, another book, great. You know, another movie, great. Because then I read the book and I watch the movie. I'm not just putting things there. That takes a lot of time. And I think I kind of forgot for a while that somebody maybe could actually find me too, that I wasn't just finding things. It was a two-way thing. And it was this huge appeal. And it was like, oh my God, somebody found me and somebody's talking to me. 
tired. I remember just going to bed and sometimes crying. And my partner asked, what is happening? I was like, somebody told me their life story. And I'm like, what? And <laughs> after a while, there was the sense of what do I do with this knowledge? What do I do with this information? And obviously I could put it in the blog with their permission, of course. But it just didn't feel like the right venue. Some of the emails were so long. And I also didn't want to summarize them to the point that it would be just a little quote or just a, a little anecdote. They were being careful to tell me more than just their anecdote. Mm-hmm. And also the time that it would take to edit properly, because obviously some people communicate well, but not so well in writing or they repeat themselves. So how do I then make that into a nice experience for someone who wants to read it? And then after a, a while, sometime in 2013, I just kind of thought, you always wanted to be a writer. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe that's your experience. And how wonderful to have the opportunity to start your writing career with a nonfiction project and something that you already put so much energy and effort into just because you want to. So I put a call on my Twitter at the time, which was called Intutors, and just said, if you follow my blog and the work that I do, would you like to share your story with me with, for a potential book? And hundreds of people replied. Oh my and gosh. That's kind of when I realized that it was a much bigger reach than I thought I had. Because obviously you just count the reach based on the amount of people who write or maybe visits, but visits is such an abstract metric. You know, you never really know, did people click, did people stay? I mean, I'm sure the metrics there, but I didn't care about them. I wasn't looking at the analytics that much. But when I got people replying to me, I thought, oh, there is something here. So then the first interview I did was in 2013 and I interviewed people until 2018. So there were five years of interviews. Oh my gosh. I think that is just, I was, uh, I found that story super emotional, just like that <laughs> what you were putting out there was so like needed and, and provided people that outlet where they felt safe to share with you their personal story, which is such a vulnerable thing to do. And just how that opened up those conversations that you had been wanting way back when you started your research. I think that's incredibly beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, it really is. And it it makes me really emotional because I've been writing the book since 2019. And I think I've been so deep into the writing process that I, it's not that I haven't, that I have forgotten, I can never forget, but I, it's been a while since I thought about the whole project as an arc, Uh, you know, kind of got obsessed with the writing and with, with the editing and making every chapter work. And now looking back, it's just like wow all of that happened (laughs) how all of that happened because the starting point of the book from editorial perspective was once I had all the interviews in 2019 I thought okay great now I'm gonna sit down listen to all of those interviews transcribe all of those interviews and thank god I found somebody I have this great great story Um, at some point I was feeling so overwhelmed I was working you know 10 hours a day as a translator in a tech company and then I Evenings and weekends were for my book, and my partner is a saint who just waits for me to be <laughs> have some time for him, who brings me sandwiches and just kind of passes it quietly. And I'm like, you know, figuring all of this out. And then I thought, okay, I cannot do the transcriptions. You know, some of those interviews are 60, 70 pages long. It's like hours of audio. And then I thought, I need, I need somebody to help me transcribe this. Otherwise, I'll never finish this book. Like, this is year six, you know, I just started feeling like nothing that I was doing was getting anywhere. And then I put an ad on this translation portal asking for a transcriber. And I said, but it has to be a woman. And then 
And it didn't have to be a childless woman, obviously, but I wanted to be a woman. I think if you're going to be listening to dozens of hours of audio about women's lives, at least be a woman. I just want that, you know, it could be my bias, fine, but that's what I wanted. Yeah. And this lovely, lovely woman called Daniela replied to me and she said, what is the project about? And then when I told her, she said, 100%, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give you a discount and don't worry about how long it's going to take. I'm going to do all of them. And also, are you still looking for people to interview because I'm childless too? <laughs> So I had already finished doing the interviews, but I did this one last interview for her and I added her to the book just because I thought it was so wonderful. And it was one of those times during these 10 years where I needed somebody the most, you know, with the skill, with the interest and with the skill and the patience to listen. Because if if you don't care about that topic, it's probably not the best thing, the best way to spend your time. But because she had gone through her own journey, she was so interested in the project. And she's so wonderful that actually traveled all the way to Canada last year just to meet her because we spent four years working together in the transcription and editing of the interview. So the book, in a way, became this portal of amazing people who are now in my life as well. Mm. That's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so how many interviews did you do for the book? I did 34 interviews. Wow. But at the moment, there are many, many less, much less than those. <laughs> I cannot have a book with 33 interviews. And uh, I'm not going to tell you a, a single number now because, you know, that once the publisher gets it, it could be transformed into a different thing. And I, I don't want to set wrong expectations, but at least a third of that I'm trying to keep in the book, which was heartbreaking. It was one of the hardest things for me when I had to turn this into a manuscript because I was so attached to the material, so in love with every single story. And I made the point of meeting most of these women in person when I could. I would literally get on a plane and go meet them. And that's a lot of time and money that you, you know, nobody's paying to do that. You're working. I remember my boss is always saying, Nicole, you're basically doing this job so you can pay for your book. Like it was. <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it felt like that quite often because it'll be like okay sorry i need to go to turkey next weekend because i need to interview this woman you know i need to go to geneva and i'd be like okay off you go so anybody who knew me understood that somebody would just get on the plane and go somewhere so when i could i did it other times it was via skype if somebody's in mexico you know i couldn't go although i would have loved to (laughs) (laughs) so when the time came to chose the interviews it was very it still is very hard to not not have all of them there, but they each and every one of them changed my life in beautiful ways. Wow. Wow. I am blown away by the level of, I don't know, care to even get on, you know, like go that extra mile to get on a plane when you could and to meet these women in person. And and what a gift to them as well. I think clearly it it has had a beautiful impact on you. And I'm sure it also has had a really incredible impact on these women too. I hope so. And yeah, it's just, um, it's complicated. I think the interview is such a different channel, you know, like I, I'm obviously not a psychologist Um, going through those interviews was very challenging thing to do more than I even expected in the beginning. I think in the beginning, you kind of think, oh, I, I need a good questionnaire. And you spend a lot of time in the questionnaire because you're you're asking for somebody's time, somebody to maybe give you an afternoon. Most of the people received me in their home. You know, it wasn't like a cafe. Like some of them offered me a bed in their house. They cooked for me. It's just this whole experience. And then you were trying to make sure you were respectful 
but also you don't know enough about them to know what could be the triggers and the flags, you know, like I don't ask them to tell me a summary of their story and then ask them to give me the bigger story after because I never know what they're going to say. I don't want them to have to maybe say the same thing twice or if there's trauma involved to re-traumatize them. So once I started doing the interviews, it was a, it was a very different mindset because I guess I started from the point of view of doing that for me. And then after a while, yes, I was still doing it for me, but I also was doing for them or at least trying to make it right for them. And that is a very different set of skills to be able to listen to somebody without interrupting, to be able to be present when somebody's going through something that you've never gone through without judgment and to be able to be there for somebody when somebody's remembering something that they haven't remembered in many years. Maybe they didn't even know that they were going to go there because they didn't know you're going to ask that question. So right. it was very complicated. And I know for a fact that I didn't get <laughs> all of them right. Probably didn't do the best jobs in the first ones to the point that I stopped for a while and really tried to train myself in, on in interviewing to just make sure I was going to at least try not to just, you don't ask questions for three, four hours and say, okay, thank you. Bye. Lock the door. And then I hope, you, I hope you're okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like call your mom or something like you don't do that. <laughs> so a lot of the time, a lot of the time spent on this wasn't just the reading or just the writing or just the interviews. It was everything. Every single phase of this project was so like this Herculean effort to get things right. And that it, it is complicated. And it, I, like I said, I'm sure I didn't get everything right, but I, I sure tried not to hurt people <laughs> along the way. I think the fact that the women are still talking to me is probably a good sign, but uh, I, it, was a, it was a huge learning curve. <laughs> For myself, personally, it was a huge learning curve. Yeah. Well, I'm just like, so I admire you so much for like doing all of that, not just like allowing these people to tell their stories, but actually like caring enough about them to realize that you're asking that maybe they might go to vulnerable places and kind of what emotional state are they going to be in at the end of the interview and and thinking beyond the material that you're gathering for your book to to the person that you're there with. I think that's what what an example you are. I think that's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was it, it was tough. It was um, it, it's very different. You come from a point of curiosity, you know. Yeah. Like, what, what if I asked a hundred questions to somebody? Yeah, but those questions come with consequences, right? And uh, yeah, I, I, it was was quite right. <laughs> <laughs> But the book is, is there now and uh, it's floating in the air waiting for a publisher. And yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that that publisher finds you soon. That's... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can't wait to hold a copy in my hands one day. <laughs> Same. Wow. Yes, that would be just wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what was the most surprising thing that you learned through your research? That when you ask questions and at least try to make people feel safe, they will tell you everything. Mm. And I I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that people would be just so, the people I found anyway, would be so willing to share. I thought there would be more barriers and 
protection and um, just this mechanism of defense maybe with the questions but one of the things i realized very early on is that because they had not spoken to people before about it or had spoken in maybe an external environment maybe in a cafe or in a restaurant or in passing or maybe the conversation had started in a way that didn't make them feel comfortable the way you then react to a question is very different if you're like you're a guest in a wedding and you sit next to somebody and the person goes, oh, do you have kids? And maybe you're like, Jesus, I just want to be here in this wedding. Maybe this is not the right time. You're obviously build all your defenses up. But if you invited somebody into your home and know that a person is going to explore the topic with you, you come from a very different place. But how often does that happen? You know, how, how often are people willing to listen to you for two or three hours? And, and when... When are you asked so many questions in a linear way that you're thinking about the topic keeps just broadening, broadening, broadening for myself too. Like I, I never had conversations like that before. And yeah. um, so that, that was very, that's when I said, you know, I had to stop for a while and really think, okay, this is not just curiosity. I'm, I'm poking holes in people's lives. Like to take a step back and can you do this? Do you have the skills? Do you have the emotional <laughs> intelligence to be going through this? Maybe not. Like take a breather, take a moment. And then, so that was the first thing, just because you're curious about something doesn't mean you, you should go there or that you should go there automatically. That was, that was a big learning. And I think the second learning was just how much silence there is around this topic is was just terrifying to me. You come from a perspective of you being the only one and then you realize that, well, now we know one in five, in broadly speaking. You're absolutely not the only one and still we all go to work together, live next to each other and are going through similar pains and know nothing about other people's pains. So that just the power of talking, I think, was a big lesson for me. And I, yeah. I think in every, every book that I will write for the rest of my life, I think will have an element of that. Wow. Yeah. I think that what you're speaking to is so true and so important that like, yeah, there is still so much silence around this topic, even though, like you said, it's not as uncommon as the silence might m make one think, right? There's seems to be, and I'm curious if this is also what, if you will agree with this or from your own conversations will feel this way too, but it seems like everyone at some point in their journey of realizing they don't want to have kids feels isolated, feels all alone in it. And, and like you're speaking to you know, it's interesting how universal that is and also how common not having kids is. Yes. And yeah, 100% that. How can something be so common and so, and feel like it's not? Yeah, like, right. Exactly. 12, 13 years ago, I couldn't name a single woman in my life who didn't want to have a child or was not planning to have a child or maybe even couldn't. The ones who couldn't were definitely not sharing it with me. There was also a timeline thing. Obviously, I was in my early 20s. Several of my friends later on in life would realize they were infertile or that there would be other impediments to their life that would stop them from having kids. So maybe, maybe I was too early on, you know, with my thinking that had I waited five, 10 years, this would more naturally have happened. And obviously, this is looking back, right? And I don't think it would have been worth waiting. But I'm just saying, I think in your 30s, you come across 
those conversations or you can come across those conversations a bit more naturally because there is an expectation that by then you would have or have not. And if you have somebody who's married and you're close to for many years as a friend, and at some point you you ask each other, would you like to, don't you? But in my early 20s, that wasn't, wasn't a thing. Most of my people, most of my friends had just come out of university and they were living their lives. They're not, not married. So I, I think there was definitely a sense of the isolation was even more extreme because I thought about it very early on. Another thing that came to mind when you were mentioning this is obviously I came from a perspective of I don't want to have a child or I don't think I want to have a child. There was certainly ambivalence there. There was uncertainty. But once I started interviewing some women then were women who did who couldn't have children and listening to those stories was a big turning point for me because I had spent many years focusing on the choice, which is my story and it's important for me. But when you sit with somebody and you hear somebody saying, I can't and my God, I wish I had and that's all I ever wanted and I have names for the children and and I, you know, my my parents want grandkids and all that pressure that, that that comes with that that was so different that was so there was even a bigger effort to be present mm. and i had to be even more careful with what i felt and with what i thought and how i how i behaved during the interviews because it's just a completely different set of emotions right and you have to be incredibly respectful of the fact that you are sitting across a human being who is asking to have what you are saying no to yeah and that is so incredibly confronting so for for the longest time i had this thing of should the book be just about child-free women you know uh, why put childless women but for me personally those stories helped me grow helped me be more empathetic and also if i'm writing a book because i want people to understand me why not then put myself in that place and also understand somebody else that is different from me right and then that expanded into okay now you might as well listen to the ambivalent ones as well (laughs) (laughs) and then I did find some ambivalent women because I I guess I wanted to I knew that I was not never going to be able to cover the entire childless and by childless here I mean women who don't have children I could not cover all of that spectrum because it's far too big too nuanced and too complicated or complex but I wanted to at least try to cover the stories from that perspective so the book has women who children to and who chose for many reasons completely different reasons and which to me is a big learning as well in the beginning there was the sense if i met somebody on the bus and the person said i don't want to have children i'm like oh let's be best friends and i'm like actually maybe not maybe still we don't like the same things maybe we wouldn't even like each other sometimes it happens sometimes it doesn't and sometimes i thought i came out of an interview with a childless woman and thought wow like i actually think you could be my best friend <laughs> <laughs> So there was all this cross-referencing and this pollination of thinking by going through those phases of interviewing child-free women, childless women, and ambivalent women, and and just trying to show that is a much more complex issue than we than I realized when I got into the research myself. So the whole research was actually just flashlights of light learning (laughs) all through for myself as well. Yeah. Wow. I think is also a testament to you to be open to that learning, right? Because I think sometimes lessons can just pass us by, but you were receptive to them and, and took them to heart and learned from them and got curious and was, and like, even, I don't know, I'm struck by how you're approach to this and how you allowed it to be a lesson for yourself. And I feel like you grew all these 
skills and tools as you went along. Yeah, I, I honestly think this book made me a better human being. You know, there's a long way to go to to do more, you know, but um, I, I feel like I couldn't have asked for a more challenging thing to research and to, to write about. It felt like this endless effort whenever something in the door, but now there is this part and now there is that part. And then, but now I get to have all these women in my life, which is precisely why I started. I, I don't have the sense of isolation, of invisibility. I have a sense of community and uh, I get to text them, to call them, say hello. I'm not going to say oh, we're all a family or no, nothing like that, but yeah. there is definitely a sense of mutual respect. Some of them became really close friends some of them if i go to their country will find a way to meet and it's just so nice there is some place in each other's life there or even if it was just for that moment or for that day to give each other a seat on the table to have that conversation even if it went as far as that that was all i ever really wanted so it was just wonderful to have the opportunity yeah wow that's really beautiful (laughs) so this has been like not only a years a years long process but it it has been i think it sounds very all consuming like it was a passion project something you s- dedicated so much time and energy to and now that it is it is to a completed point right like it's out for for an editor to or a publisher to pick up and yeah. and bring to the rest of us <laughs> whoever's listening <laughs> wink wink <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I'm curious, like, what what is your focus now? Like, has your research shifted as your own journey has evolved? And what has that looked like? Right. Yeah, it has, actually. I don't I don't know if I would say research anymore, though, if you, if you follow my Instagram, you know, I keep putting things there. So in the sense, yes, there is there is research that is continuing, but it's no longer for the book. I think there is a there is a very clear split in my life, which is the making of this book and putting this book out there. So my energy is mostly now about getting the book to be published. And, you know, I've got a literary agent in July, uh, which is a great nod to somebody in the, the industry believes in the book and somebody in the industry likes my writing enough to say okay i'm gonna sign this paper i'm gonna represent you and um, that was a big acknowledgement and there was it made the whole thing feel re- real mm-hmm. not it's not just this 300 pages on my computer it's not just my my partner and my mom saying well done it's somebody who doesn't know me who you know who is just saying okay let's give this a try so that was quite important being in submission phase is, is also very important and just trying to bring awareness to the book to convince publishers that this is not a niche subject, that there is this huge community, you know, communities plural of women like you and I who are, who would really like to read more stories and to learn more things about what it's like to be child-free and childless. And um, that that a lot of energy goes to that. And in terms of shifting, I think because I have made my decision and have written the book, the whole point was awareness at the beginning. I want to make people aware. So this is how I think I can contribute to the topic. Here's a book. But after that, there is a sense of integration that came with the book, uh, not just being part of a community of women who don't have children, but I started actually missing having conversations with women who are also mothers. I felt like I didn't want this book to be a wall, you know, to to keep dividing women yeah. on a parenthood status. And I I felt that maybe I want my next research and my next books and my 
my next conversations to be about how do we how do we break the wall i think the wall is really important in the beginning when we are trying to figure out or when we are trying to except if we cannot have children still healing. It's important to have the wall and to go into the communities and to spend a lot of time there because you need that support and you need that comfort. But I think it's equally important once you find that peace in your heart or that you you are happy with your decision not with finally healed for what happened to you, that you come out and go live your life with the rest of the people. And it doesn't have to be all the time. You can still read a book and watch a movie about women without children. But back to what I said earlier, you know, your doctor, your lawyer, your teacher, your, your neighbor, those are all women who might also have children. And wouldn't it be nice if we could find a way to support each other? And that makes me think about the amazing work that uh, Christine Erickson does with the New Legacy Institute. Yes. Uh, I feel that now that I have the book and that my contribution to that is is there in the world or soon will be, I'm being pulled more into the thinking of how do I, how do I, can I contribute to policy changing, to influencing things in society in a bigger scale? Something that goes beyond self-reflection. Yes, you can get my book, read the stories and reflect, but can this be bigger? How, can I help make things easier for everyone? And um, I love the work that Christine does. It's really about working in communities with institutions and thinking, how do we change policies in the workplace? How do we change public policies? And more and more, I find myself kind of floating towards that. So, so maybe that's going to be next. I, I don't know yet. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. I think you've spoken to so many things too that I think are so true and important, or at least I relate to, I guess I should maybe say it that way that like I really resonate with me, like feeling, I love how you highlighted, and I don't know if I've heard anyone articulate that before, but it, when you were talking about needing that, that wall at first to sort of dive deep with other women who really understand what it's like to not have kids and to who have gone who are experiencing similar things and to have that space to have these conversations in a safe, respectful, or curious way without other people's judgments who aren't in that particular mindset or, yeah, situation. I think, and then progressing from there, like I too am at a point where I'm very like much interested in how do we not keep that wall up and how do we like you like you said so perfectly just like support each other and women with kids and without kids and and how do we like come together and so it's interesting to think of this sort of as like you know I just I hear people all the time you know when I'm working with clients you know there's no path for those who choose not to have kids or those who don't have kids like the way you see parenthood there's almost like a clear path to some to some degree, right? That you can recognize and see that you'll hit some of those milestones. But it's interesting, like hearing you say that, I feel like there is, at least in this journey of coming to terms with with your place of not having kids or, or what that means to you, there is sort of a journey of these things like, you know, feeling alone to yeah. finding that you're not alone and having this safe space to have finding a community of other like-minded people that you can find confidence or just community with for lack of a I can't think. Um, no, that's a great word. That, that is definitely it, isn't it? I think it's just the same way we can 
quote unquote like complain mothers only talk about the babies and they only go out with yeah. they go out with the kids they don't go out with us anymore and that's all they would do that's all they would think about the other way can happen too you know that you only then do things with child-free people and only read those books only watch those movies and never go out with children which you can if that makes you happy it's fine but for yeah. me i definitely felt like okay now i'm i'm just living this life that is very narrow as well yeah I sometimes missed then people I grew up with who are still my best friends, who are now mothers. I don't want them out of my life because they have children. I want them to understand me. And if I cannot make some of my best friends in life understand and respect my choice, how can I expect that I would that I'll be able to do this with strangers. So I felt that integration is important for the structural change that I yeah. that I would like to now contribute to. Thank the book was about helping people make their decisions and feel validated. But I would like to go beyond that because it's what I'm noticing that is happening in my life. I've been inviting all the friends I have to do in my life with my own limits in my own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we hang out with their children. Sometimes I say, is it okay to leave the children home and just you and I go and just trying to make those spaces. And then I feel like my life is richer right now. But this is because I went through 10 years of thinking about it and figuring it all out. Everybody has their own time and on their own journey. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's so interesting. I never thought about it. You know, like, again, you just highlighted it so well. You know, the way that we can feel isolated from our friends as they go on to be parents because they're like immersed in that. It's like their world for the moment. I definitely feel like the last few years I've been immersed in child-free conversations, communities, you know, that has been my world. And it's like the same thing, just different side of the coin. Absolutely. And if you're happy living in that, you know, that corridor, great. I was for the longest time. I was really happy. It was my happy place. I suddenly had somebody to call, to email, to visit, to go on vacations with. It was like living life. It was wonderful. But it came to an end where now it's more like, oh, if I need these, I know I go to that friend or if I need that, I go to that other friend and some of them have children and some of them don't. Right. And the multiple experiences are, I think, is enriching my life. And that's coming from a place of accepting my decision and being comfortable with who I am. And that can take a long time, right? Yeah. Also, I'm choosing for some people. It's not a choice. It can take longer. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I know from our previous conversation that you read numerous books about women who have not had children and revisiting those stories. How has your own evolution with the decision impacted what those writings offer you now, as opposed to when you first discovered those books? I love that question. They, I think they feel like hugs to me every time I pluck a book off my shelf and I was like oh this is the first book I read that made me feel seen this is the first book that gave me questions to ask myself this is the first book that showed what my future could look like as a writer without children at this point I don't I no longer feel like they could influence or change my life like I felt the first time yeah it definitely felt more like oh my god I had never thought about this and now I feel found you know it it was much more of an epiphany now it's not. It's more like it's more like seeing an old friend when I read some of those books. Like I finished reading Molly Peacock's book, um, this one, Paradise Piece by Piece, which is a, has a great. It's 
it's so much meaning to me, this book. It was the first memoir I ever found about not only a child-free woman, but a writer, child-free woman. And, and somebody, when you are somebody who wants to write, and I'm not saying you cannot be a mom. So many writers are moms and probably you know happy with their decision. For me, it was always either or. I never felt like I could do both well. And, and this is me. This is personally is knowing my body, my health conditions, my mental conditions. And I'm just like, I don't think I could do both. So I would have to pick. And this book made me really feel like I could see what my life could look like if I chose my life. So when I read this book again, there is no sense of epiphany. Like I said, it's just that sense of nostalgia and gratitude for having found the book so it's like finding an old friend and giving them a hug (laughs) (laughs) I meant up a new friend you know like I already know who my friends are and they're all here on the shelf (laughs) 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 but then I'm very happy to pass them along and when people say oh I'm still ambivalent I'm like oh have you thought about those three books or you know like I don't know maybe I had a miscarriage I have this book but I don't know if it's going to help but if you would like to read so my mind now goes to those books as a maybe can help this person or that person or that person like they helped me before. I love that. Wow. And actually, as we're getting to the end here, I'm curious, would you be willing to share like what book would you recommend and for what type of person might enjoy that book? Yeah, I absolutely could. Like, is that your last question or? Yeah. And then I'll do the what is a message you'd like to leave with the listeners? If I could answer both at the same time, it might be a bit easier. Does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess um, about the message. When I started, there was a lot that already existed, right? I'm not a pioneer. There are people like Marcia Drew Davis doing this since the 70s. Like, let's not kid ourselves. And that this is groundbreaking work. (laughs) It's not. Maybe the way we are doing slightly different or has more reach or it's online and it's all... It's all great that we're all doing our bit, but people have been doing this for a long time. Women have been fighting the fight for, for a long time. Mars has been doing this since the 70s. So there were books there. Communities may be in different forms and organizations, some that are still there, some that are not. But when I look at the amount of resources we have today, I think the biggest message for me is use it. You know, try to try to sort through and try to understand in which stage of your not having a child journey you are. Are you ambivalent? If you are ambivalent, a book that helped me, it's a, it's a bit oldy but still goody, is um, a book by Jane Safer called Beyond Motherhood. I think it was published in 1997, so it's, again, it's an oldie. But it's all about how she goes through the myths um, related to motherhood and also she has a questionnaire of questions like she question of questions she has a list of questions where she basically goes have you thought about this and have you thought about that and how about that and she's just opening doors she's just saying go here go around see how you feel at the end of that and that book helped structure my thinking my self-reflection when I was so ambivalent still so I, I would suggest that one it wouldn't cause any harm to read it's like 200 pages very well written and um, I think it's a good place to start if you're still sorting yourself out. For the child-free path, I am a big fan of Laura Carroll. I like the work that she does. Um, she has been doing this for a really long time. She has the Baby Matrix book, which I think is an important book. She has Families of Two, I think is the name. Oh, okay. the book 
which is interviews with couples just talking about what is it like being a family of two. And uh, that then made me visualize a bit what my life could be. My partner at the time was like, oh, so that's what could be. Oh, that, that's interesting because all you have is people saying you're going to miss this and I'm going to miss that, missed out on this, you're going to regret. So it's really nice to have some voices that is, they are also saying, yeah, but you could have that and that and that and that. And then it's up to you to decide what is more important for you. But just having this other choir of voices whispering in your ear, it, it was very important. So families of two and uh, the baby matrix. Marcia also has a book, doesn't she? I think it's a confession of a child-free woman. It's an amazing book. Read it. See what you get. I know Marcia is very open in the community, open to talking to people. So maybe read the book, say hello to her there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, then if you are childless, not by choice, then we have the amazing Joe today. Yeah, she has oh, a gay yes. community. I have her book here, um, Living the Unexpected Life, Rocking, Rocking the Life Unexpected. So again, not my journey, but I read the book. I connected with Jodi in real life. She even suggested some, one of the women I interviewed in my book was actually Jodi who said, have you just hear somebody you might want to interview? And uh, it's an amazing book. And it's a fantastic community online. You, they have weekend retreats. They have uh, in-person workshops. They have a list of um, psychologists and counselors and coaches who are childless that you can contact if you feel like you need that support and you would like to talk to somebody who also does not have a child. So yeah, there, there is just so much there. Try to understand understand where you are in the journey. Try to filter the resources to what you are needing at the moment. If in doubt, ask. Send me a message. All of these things are on my, on my blog or on my Instagram or on my Twitter. Like, dig there. I feel like, Nicole, there are three books here. Which one do you think I should start? I'm, I'm happy to, to answer. But um, just be honest about what your struggle at the moment is. Because you're probably going to, to go through different phases anyway. But what is your phase right now and what do you need right now? And I promise you, it will be there. Whether it's a podcast whether it's a movie or it's a book or it's talking to somebody but it, it is already there mm, yeah thank you for that I so appreciate you and the work that you have put out there for all of us so generously you know it's one thing to like I remember when I was first looking for child-free books and trying to do an Amazon search, and it was kind of like so hard. It was like, well, there's this book, but is it right? I feel like you're got such a beautiful, like you read them. You you have such a good curation, I guess. Maybe that's the word. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like I, I mean, even things I I that never popped up in my Amazon search, you've mentioned, and I'm like, oh cool <laughs> well, i'm happy to send the name so you don't need to listen yeah. to again and all of that but yeah we, you know everybody's doing a little bit there is there is a lot in there yes yeah awesome and i will link all the you said instagram twitter your yes. blog and yeah. i will put those all in the show notes is there anything else to to connect there no I, I think shifting more to communicating to instagram i know my posts are quite long for instagram standards which for some people is not ideal uh that is it's just my way to really try and make people think about the topic a bit more i want it to be more than just a picture of a book and you don't have to read the text if you don't want to <laughs> <laughs> i communicate there and there are highlights on my instagram for books and, and for movies so if you click on them you actually see all the books and, and all the movies so yeah just go click away and <laughs> find something that that suits you <laughs> joy <laughs> Oh, Nicole, thank you so much. I have, again, loved 
every second of my conversation with you. I feel like I am so grateful to know you and have a new friend in you. So thank you for that. Um, Don't make me cry now. I was doing well. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, We spoke a little bit about it, but the way you carry your conversations and the way you conduct your podcast, it's incredibly beautiful. And now I think you you probably understand a bit more why it's so important to me and why I accepted talking to you after you do a lot of interviews. (laughs) You know, it's like you you really want to have meaningful conversations. And when I listen to your podcast, I feel like this is somebody I want to talk to. So uh, thank you for for having me. Oh my gosh. That is the biggest honor. Thank you. Yes. And I hope I did justice to you today. More than that. It was just brilliant. Thank you. Oh, good. (laughs) I'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. And if you haven't already, please consider sharing, rating, and reviewing this podcast. This is how we reach more people. And in doing so, that's how we break the stigma. I would really appreciate your support in that and helping this podcast reach more listeners. And if you're someone who is struggling with any aspect of your child-free life, head over to my website and book your free clarity call. We'll talk about how you can start living your best child-free life with intention and purpose today.